And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Especially welcome to our Thursday shows. Wonderful Thursday opportunity every week. I have a great guest in studio or sometimes on Skype, but today in studio, a great studio audience and really a chance to do a deep dive on some subject, always subjects in this show tying to the unique and extraordinary greatness of America and trying to preserve this precious country. Our guest today in studio is Dr. Richard Bartlett. He joined us on this show, and I, you're going to see a little clip in a moment. He joined us in this show in July of 2020, when we were just starting in the real kind of tumble down into fear uh, over COVID. And you know, much talk of a potential vaccine coming, and he joined on the show. I'm going to play me on the show to tell about what he had discovered was just an amazing uh, treatment for a protocol to address the dangerous and scary symptoms of COVID when people are struggle, struggling to breathe. We're going to play a little excerpt from that very first interview two years ago. We're going to talk about today, you know, uh, what happened at when what happens when you speak up. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of retribution coming. We're going to talk about the hearing yesterday in Washington, D.C. Senator Ron Johnson, the wonderful senator from Wisconsin, held a follow-up to, I believe it's two or three other um, hearings he held. I think it was more of an informal hearing yesterday, but kind of talking about what in the world, what, what's happened with COVID and the treatments and the scariness of the vaccines. We're going to talk about some excerpts from Died Suddenly, the Stu Peters documentary. If you haven't seen it, I hate to say I encourage you to see it, but I kind of encourage you to see it in case you uh, have any doubt about the uh, danger of falling from these vaccines. And we're just going to talk about eventually going forward, what is it we do? Uh, because we Americans want healthcare freedom. We want responsible healthcare system. We want the primacy of the doctor-patient relationship restored. And we want to understand what's coming in terms of the future of uh, planned viruses, it appears, planned viruses, planned vaccines, and what that means to uh, the future of freedom in America. So with that, I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Richard Bartlett. It is just great to see you. Thank you so very much. And I know you are much in demand and uh, still practicing medicine and speaking around the country. So I'm so glad you happen to be available today. I'll quickly tell you, actually, you'll hear it in a little clip I'm going to play. This is a clip from the very first time Dr. Bartlett joined me on the show. Um, and this is uh, July of 2020. So that little clip, if you could, Mr. Emilio. Everyone in America should care very much about finding solutions to coronavirus, to fighting the spread, to finding solutions to people who really suffered from COVID-19. We all should care. There's a growing sense among a significant portion of Americans that this problem of coronavirus is being manipulated politically by people with an agenda other than finding out a way to deal with coronavirus, an agenda to push America ultimately toward becoming more subservient to the government, to become more willing to do what they're told by the government in terms of staying in their homes, not opening their businesses, wearing masks, all the things the government is saying, and ultimately appears that many in government are trying to drive America toward agreeing that the only solution is a vaccine and the only solution uh, with a vaccine is that everyone just has to stay home until it's ready and then everyone's going to have to take it. We're being driven to a vaccine-only solution and plenty of Americans are saying, I don't think so. And that, my very fine friends, the Today's First Five. 
So I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. This is kind of a funny thing. I'll just tell you a true story. So last night, there was a political event. I moderated a panel that was speaking at a political event. And afterward, I met someone who had attended the event. Is a doctor here in Texas, and not in Dallas, but in Midland, Texas. And he has been uh, working also dealing with, with COVID-19 patients, coronavirus patients. The article is up again on our website, americacanwetalk.org. An article about him is called, Local Doctor Believes He Has Found Silver Bullet for COVID-19. We had a great conversation after the meeting last night. And on the spot, I said, why don't you come into my show tomorrow? And gratefully, uh, he was available. So here you have, we have joining us in studio, our new friend, Dr. Richard Bartlett. Hello. My silver bullet is inhaled budesonide. Uh, the brand name originally was Pomacort, now it's generic. It's super cheap. It's about $200 for the total treatment if you pay cash. With insurance, many of my patients are not even having to pay for it. And you use a nebulizer machine. It's an asthma medicine. That's, it's a respiratory anti-inflammatory for COVID, which is a respiratory inflammatory disease. And it works. 100% of my patients are alive. I've been treating this since March. And uh, you, you use it for five minutes. So it takes five minutes to do a breathing treatment. You plug it in the machine, the machine in the wall. You put the medicine that's pre-mixed, pre-measured from the pharmacy into the little reservoir. You push the on button and you breathe it during five minutes you during the commercial. Okay, I wanted to show that. Just, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a long excerpt to do the intro, but that was literally the first day that uh, I, I had you on the show. First time I met you the night before, and you were on the, th the issue of budesonide being effective, dealing with people who were struggling to breathe with COVID. So first, just, just if you want to quickly tell our listeners, I, I didn't do a, a strong enough introduction of you, yourself, and your background. Very quickly, your medical background, and then... What happened after you introduced the reality to the world that Budesonide worked? But first, your background just a bit. I'm working as an emergency room doctor. Uh, for seven years, I was a advisor for Governor Rick Perry on the Health Disparities Task Force. And we were tasked with giving him advice to make sure every Texan had access to quality health care, whether they're inner city, rural, all ethnicities. And because we had such great results, uh, I was surprised at the end of the seven years to receive the Meritorious Service Award from the Texas Health and Human Services Commissioner. I didn't know they had that. Uh, but I still work in the emergency room, uh, have one wife, seven kids, uh, and uh, uh, didn't get that backwards. And, and uh, you know, uh, have, have been the president of the County Medical Society for four terms. So my peers had respect for me for over 20 years. I was a medical advisor for CBS in West Texas. And so um, I'm biased towards helping people, trying to make sure there's access to care. And what has happened during this last three years has been obstacles on purpose from centralized control to healthcare. We have seen obstacles to care. If you're sick, we were told, don't go to the hospital, don't go to the emergency room, don't see your doctor until your lips are blue and you're short of breath and you're feeling dizzy. That's the time to get behind the wheel and drive to the emergency room is, is kind of what we were told. At the beginning of the COVID Of outbreak. COVID, yes. Yep. And so, you know, a obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And when I presented an inhaled steroid as a solution, as a, as a tool to use in the treatment of an inflammatory respiratory disease that was killing people, I thought people would be excited, but it was interesting the pushback from, uh, you know, from Anthony Fauci uh, was one of them. 
in an interview on the internet uh, saying that budesonide was just a placebo. But you dial two years down the road, no, December of 2021, and now it's at the NIH uh, as a treatment option, inhaled steroids. Yeah, I was gonna, I, I'm, that's a great background. I want to add one thing about your background that you're very humble, so you don't mention, but you've done for no other reason other than your Christian faith and love of mankind, you have traveled the world just to bring, I don't know if you call it medical mission, but you've traveled the world to help people who have, uh, there's a shortage of medical care in their area. I mean, and this is, the reason I wanna lay all this out because you are just a, you know, a doctor respected by your peers, respected by the Texas government, given an award, and you spoke up at a time when, when COVID was very scary and I mean, it's still not wonderful, but it was very scary. And the only thing we were hearing, as you were saying a moment ago, was don't do a thing, stay home until you're almost dead, and then go to the emergency room. And you decided one night, as you're on duty uh, in the ER, uh, that you were trying to think what in the world is it could help these people. And it came to you. I mean, I'm paraphrasing yes, you said in my show, the idea yes. that budesonide, which treats asthma, is the same thing going on in your lungs with COVID. So why not try budesonide? And very quickly, you had tremendous success with that, correct? Yes, we did. And actually, uh, we, we had patients who were taken off the ventilator when the family was told there's nothing else that can be done and we want a hospice and DNR order. And the husband was called three times demanding that and the husband pushed back and then he calls me. The wife is on 100% oxygen, on high pressure on the ventilator, her oxygen saturation is only 80% with all that measures. The next, in one week after starting budesonide, she was off the ventilator. In two weeks, she was home with her family. We've seen some extremes of good news, uh, yet that was still very much offensive to many people in the medical community. It is astonishing. And with that, you know, budesonide, as you mentioned a moment ago, it was not being recommended by Anthony Fauci, any of the medical establishment in Washington or Texas or anywhere else. But you were using your own medical training, life experience, your just wisdom about what might help a patient with certain conditions, and yet it was greeted with a lot of um, disdain and, in fact, uh, almost uh, yes. calling you out as a problem. Well, actually, four attempts to attack me through the medical board against my license. In Texas Medical Board? Yes, all dismissed as frivolous, bogus, but it didn't mean they didn't try. And some behind some of it might have been hospital administrators and other doctors and hospitals on, who have financial overlap. So fast forward now, you got to, I believe you said December of 2021. Now there are numerous studies out showing that budesonide is extremely effective in helping with COVID. Yeah, a year after I presented that, Oxford University, the oldest university in the English speaking world since 1096, that's a long time, yeah. <laughs> with 72 Nobel Prize laureates they completed the STOIC trial a year after I had presented this, and they concluded, Oxford University concluded, and it still stands, that 90% of hospitalizations, ER visits, and even urgent care visits would have been prevented when the disease was more deadly at the very beginning of this with the original variant. Okay, so now I want to turn to where we are today. I mean, I, mean, I will, again, as I've mentioned to you other times when I've interviewed you or um, had the great opportunity to speak with you someplace, um, you're very brave because a lot of people in the medical community just kind of decided, you know, I'm just going to go along with whatever the powers that be seem to do. But you really rose above that notion of just being obedient and were more geared into what is it we do to help patients. But I want to turn to where we are now. So budesonide is now, I mean, I assume 
most doctors understand is very efficacious in helping with COVID, as was ivermectin, other things they were I'm using. I'm going to say budesonide is probably still the best kept secret, most suppressed secret during this whole pandemic. It, it's truly astonishing. You started out saying a minute ago that you had this, how odd this whole circumstance has been in the last, since COVID came along, and how there have been just repression of doctors, uh, pharmacists, and anyone who's trying to participate in helping people, you're kind of holding out for the vaccines. I want to jump to something that happened yesterday. We're going to jump around a bit. I have many topics. Um, but one was yesterday in Washington, Senator Ron Johnson, who is from Wisconsin, he held another hearing, and it's either the third or fourth in a series he's done, calling doctors in to basically say what in the world is happening regarding COVID. He's very brave and, you know, just holding these hearings with doctors will, like you, willing to be brave, willing to say what's true rather than what you're told to say. And I did not, I saw snippets of it. I didn't see the whole thing. I think you might've gotten to see it. So what, what emerged it, it, to your understanding from that hearing yesterday? What were the big points that came out that doctors are making about where we are today in COVID? Dr. Ryan Cole is a pathologist and he's brilliant. I've, I've overlapped with him several times. And he summarized what we said on your original show in July of 2020 that uh, COVID is a, a virus, it's a coronavirus. Uh, everybody's gonna, has been exposed to coronaviruses, that it would be a, uh, a difficult thing, probably impossible <laughs> to come up with a vaccine to a rapidly mutating virus and have 100% success. That's ridiculous. Uh, and we have a precedent for that that we talked about on your original show in July of 2020. Influenza the flu is a rapidly mutating virus, and we have seen that when you try to make a vaccine to that, we have had terrible success year after year. That doesn't mean you don't try, but the reality is if you're going to sell that as a success, 100% success, or a strategy to vaccinate yourself out of a pandemic with a rapidly mutating virus, that's a, that's a plan to fail. Absolutely, and, and I know that hearing, I am going to try to watch this over this weekend. I, I, it was five hours long, I think it was a little bit long. And I don't know whether this is what I'm about to describe to you was at that or another hearing, but there was a great little video. It was a woman doctor who was saying, you know, when you administer vaccines as a doctor, you take the vaccine out of the package and there's packaging. And she pulled out a piece of white paper and unfolded it. And it is filled with words and letters and symbols. So she held it up. This is normally the content of every vaccine vial, you can read it. And what it is describing on this piece of paper is what are the contents of the vaccine? What is in this thing? So she holds this up for regular vaccine. And then she held up what you get in the packaging for coronavirus or COVID vaccines. And I, I don't know if she meant all of them, mRNA, all of them, but she held right. up and it's a blank piece of, an enormous piece of blank paper. And it said left intentionally blank. And so, so she, they're basically saying they don't, they don't reveal what's the contents of the vaccine. I'm going to comment on that. Please do. And <laughs> so I would encourage all the viewers, everybody that sees this, to go to your local pharmacy and ask them to show you the package insert for the COVID shot. It doesn't matter what brand. And you will see exactly what you've described. Every pharmacist has seen this. And many doctors in the hospitals have seen this that normally you're going to list the ingredients, you're going to list the indications, the contraindications, you're going to list a ton of information in very small, fine print. It's many times uh, covered with print on the front and the back of this two foot by three foot yep. sheet of paper. That's called a package insert. For every medication, that will be covered 
with print. But this is left blank on purpose. We're, we're two years into this now. Why would we not want to disclose information to the public or to the pharmacists or to the doctors? So this means a doctor administering or pharmacist administering these vaccines doesn't have the, pa the package insert, doesn't describe the contents, so you really don't even know what's in it. Contraca uh, contraindications, how, uh, we, we list things on every medicine on that package insert about what if someone's pregnant? What if they're breastfeeding? All the possible variants and concerns and, con and maybe uh, whether it goes through the kidney or the liver, whether it could hurt the kidneys or liver, all of that is covered on the package insert except in this unique situation. And it's not because they've ran out of ink. Uh, I can't think of a valid reason. Well, except they're keeping it secret. Right. It's a secret. Which it's a is secret very on purpose. Left, left blank on purpose. Oh yeah, that, that's actually what the page said. Left yes. blank on purpose. So um, I'm not sure I want to dive into what really is in those vaccines yet. I might get around to that. Or do you want to say something about that right now? Well, uh, I'll tell you what I do know. Okay. Uh, the Moderna vaccine, made by uh, a company, Moderna, which never made a medication or a vaccine before this which is, does have some ties to Bill Gates, who's, who's not a pharmacist, not a doctor, not a chiropractor, not a janitor in a hospital. I don't think he has any ties to medicine that I'm aware of as far as training. Right, no medical training. But, yeah. but he owns this company that has sold a lot of this to, uh, to the world. And one of the ingredients is SM-102. SM-102. If you go, that is made by the Cayman Chemical Company. And, the, and like every chemical company, they have to turn in an OSHA paper to the federal government talking about all that they know about that, medic, uh, that chemical. Well, that chemical, when you get the OSHA paper, I looked at that, it says not for human or veterinary use, for research use only. I'm thinking, hey, every patient I take care of is a human. <laughs> um, all my neighbors are humans. Uh, what's going on? That should, oh that should make you pause for a moment right there. Research use only? Wait a minute. It's not for veterinary use? Isn't a lab rat, wouldn't that technically, you can't give this to a lab rat according to the package insert, the OSHA paper for SM-102? That's one of the ingredients. In the Moderna vaccine In the Moderna being vaccine. used today. Yes. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, <laughs> Tromethamine, uh, a medicine that's used when someone has already died and you're, and you're doing, they're in cardiac arrest and you're trying to resuscitate them, rarely used in that situation, added on purpose after the fact to some vaccines that are given to children. Why? It's never been added to any other, medic, uh, any other vaccine in history. And we've never had SM-102 added to any other vaccine in history. Seems like those would be significant pieces of information. That the public should be entitled to know and well, have on a display, and the doctors or pharmacists administering should be required. You know, we, we could go forever. Right. With you want to say, I, I want to get into this. I'm sorry, you want to say one more thing. Is that right? So informed <laughs> consent. You, yeah. You're touching on a topic that is, uh, as an attorney, as a doctor, informed consent is where you're, a doctor has the responsibility to tell the risk and benefit of every treatment option. Yeah. That is part of the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics. We talked about that yep. two years ago. But uh, we're, uh, people are being failed. The American people have been failed. They have not been told all the risks and all the benefits. And I'll give you an example. 
I'm on the board that sued the FDA for the, with the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit for the Pfizer data. Pfizer has a great deal of information that Pfizer collected, not a third party, but Pfizer collected about their product, and they turned it into the FDA. When, when uh, an attorney named Aaron Siri filed that Freedom of Information Act uh, case, the FDA said, we'll release that in 55 years yep. to the American people. And then they thought about it and they said, no, 75 years. Uh, and so that was where it was when I was actually in Fort Worth federal court, sitting next to Aaron Siri, and the federal judge, Mark Pittman said, no, that's not how it's gonna happen in Texas. You're gonna have to release that. And so we started getting a fragment of that, a 40th of that information every month. In the first drop of information, it listed over 1,200 adverse events of special interest, a fancy way of saying bad outcomes associated with their product, including cancer, uh, one cancer called, um, it's an AIDS cancer, Kaposi sarcoma. What's that on the list for? Autoimmune disorders, dozens of them. Heart attacks, strokes, vaccine, associated with their product according to the manufacturer of the product. Okay, you know, this, this uh, story where Pfizer, Pfizer was also wanting to say it's going to take us a long time. It was something a long time to gather that data. You know, we need, with de you know, decades of years. And the idea, it's one thing for, for Pfizer, as they, I mean, it's not ethical, but for them to be protective of their own, you know, they're worried about the liability, they're trying to put off disclosure. But the FDA took Pfizer's side agreed with them that they shouldn't have to, I mean, this is unheard of. We, I, I, don't want, I want to get to something else because there are too many things here um, and not enough time. And even though I talk fast, not fast enough. Okay, there is a film I want to encourage everyone, if you haven't seen it, uh, this is called Died Suddenly, and it's a short documentary film made by Stu Peters. You can find it online, just Stu, S-T-E-W, Peters, Died Suddenly, and you can watch it for free. It's on his website. And among the things he, do, he is dedicated to doing is gathering stories about people who, and, and you all, if you follow news at all, you're seeing all sorts of a bizarre increase in the number of people who die suddenly. Young, healthy, we're talking about athletes, we're talking about soccer players, athletes of all kinds, young people who, I mean, I, I started to keep a file on it, so crazy, these stories, and they'll often say, uh, oh, it turned out it was an undiagnosed heart condition, uh, you know, a previously unknown heart condition, which could be caused by the vaccine. But in any case, all these stories are just so out of control. So there's a little clip from Died Suddenly. Um, and I wanna just, um, let's see, where is this little clip? Okay, yeah. Um, it is, a, well, let's see, find it. Um, oh, you know, I had too many clips in here. Um, Okay, do you have, yeah, you have, okay, just go ahead and play that one. I can't remember why, I picked so many things in this film. Let's just play this one. You know, we know something's going on. Okay, actually, pause um, for a second. Uh, pause, 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 uh, pause, pause. Can you pause? Okay, here's the thing I want to get to. This film has video captured of people who pass away suddenly with what seems to be a reaction to the COVID vaccine. And the... Uh, manifestation that people, I mean, they're caught on film, literally people at a subway stop, you know, they're standing by a subway stop and they have this horrific attack of some kind and they collapse, one you know, collapses and run over by the subway and they, they manifest this behavior 
that is, I mean, I don't want to capture all of these because they are so, they're, I mean, it's really troubling to watch this. But before we do that thing, uh, Mr. Emilio, before we get to that one, I want to play the one of the NBA, um, NBA guy. There's a, a NBA, Cor two guys. Correspondent. Who, sorry? The correspondent. Yeah, yeah, NBA correspondent. There you go, sports guy talking about some game. The two of them are sitting there. I'm just going to wa have you watch this one little clip, and then we'll talk about this. Big for a 19-year-old kid. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And you, and you said it right. Poise for a kid this young, 19 years old, come out on the floor each and every night, and he feels like he's belonged. So, I look for this kid to have a really good first half of the season. And you hear the clunk. He collapses. I am sorry to be troubling. I'm sorry to be troubling, but I want to say that kind of episode. Now, this particular NBA announcer apparently survived, but there are in this film and all over places, if you're willing, on the internet, stories of people perfectly healthy who had an attack like that. They, they're looking around, kind of obviously not seeing clearly what's in front of them, and staggering and spinning and falling over, and most of them die right there. This guy did not, and I'm very glad. I don't wish death on anyone. But there are many, many bizarre um, deaths that seem to flow very quickly after receiving the COVID vaccine. And I want to start with just, have you seen this kind of episode before that where that this frequency of people dying suddenly and engaging that bizarre behavior in any other conduct in your, any other your practice of medicine? Very unusual, working as an emergency room doctor, to have patients come in after they receive a vaccine of any kind to come in as my patient with a stroke, with transverse myelitis, with Guillain-Barre syndrome. That's very rare normally. That's an ascending paralysis. I have treated patient after patient with each of those after they've received the COVID shot, sometimes hours afterwards. One was a 62-year-old lady who received the COVID shot at a, at a chain pharmacy, collapses right there. Two hours later, she's my patient in the ER. And so I, I have personally been the doctor taking care of patients who have been injured. And she only received that shot because the in-laws would not visit her if she did not get vaccinated. And so her life has changed. She could not feel anything or, or move the right side of her body two hours after receiving it, obviously connected. But you know, she would not be called vaccinated because according to the criteria they've created, you're not vaccinated until two weeks after you receive a shot. Wait, so two weeks after, why is that? Because that's the rule they made. But, and they just made that rule yeah. for the, okay. Because what I'm getting at, and I'll just share another little bit of data. Um, died to, I'm talking about obviously the danger of the vaccine, the, the danger the vaccines pose. Um, to, There's a risk. Okay. And, and it, it is not being, uh, called out on any commercial trying to promote the shots. Have they, have they said that there's any risk at all? I haven't heard that on one commercial. Oh, they deny it. In fact, you're right about how much, we're gonna get around to in just a minute why these vaccines are being pushed in a way I've never seen other vaccines, you know, in the middle of, well, we, at our house, we watch sports a lot. I mean, in the middle of sports, there's, you know, some commercial comes on pushing vaccines. I'll show you, and I played that kind of troubling thing because we are seeing a spike in unexpected death. It died suddenly, the name of that, um, that particular, the Stu Peters documentary. There's also information from insurance companies and insurance companies who have no political motivation. They just have data. It's costing them money because we have a middle-aged, the percentage of middle-aged deaths 
are skyrocketing. That's their word, the insurance industry. There's Society of Actuaries, which is SOA, Society of Actuaries. 20 of the nation's top 21 insurance companies are all reporting the same phenomenon, death claims exploding in the summer of fall in 2021. This is the last data for which they had. Death claims for 35 to 44-year-olds were 100% higher than expected in July and August and September of 2021. Deaths in 25 to 34-year-olds rose 78% in those same months. More people 34 years old and under died of non-COVID-related illnesses than from COVID. Uh, White-collar workers saw a 23% rise in unexpected excess deaths. The data are all over. It's everywhere if you want to look for it. That was presented at Senator Johnson's yeah. December 7, 2022 uh, committee hearing that you can look up. And they had uh, actuaries, they had uh, insurance experts presenting that data. And so you can dissect that out yourselves. But the bottom line is they're seeing a uh, tremendous increase in all-cause mortality, all-cause death. The UK chief medical officer for the United Kingdom has acknowledged this last week, that there's an unprecedented increase in overall all-cause death. He tried to immediately attribute it to the interruptions in care during COVID. And, and, and we talked about that on that very first show of July uh, 2020, where I said, this is bad health care when you're interrupting mammograms, which happened in West Texas in the town that I'm from. They stopped the They shut down the mammogram department. Uh, I thought that was a good idea to screen for cancer early. Early treatment, early detection, and early treatment have been the cornerstone and brought more success in cancer treatment of all cancers in the last 30 years than any other uh, factor. Not vaccines, but early detection and early treatment. So they shut down the mammograms. They shut down all over the country, a lot of screening for heart disease was shut down temporarily because of fear. But are you saying that all of the excess mortality being reported is due to the fact of shutting down? No, no. it's not that. It, it, is, it is a factor. It's a fa Okay, it could be a factor. But I'm getting it. The vaccines, these are not deaths from COVID that they're reporting. They're not deaths from COVID, but they seem to be tied to the, to the vaccines. So I'm going to think out loud here. Go ahead. Uh, so the Pfizer data that we received from a Freedom of Information Act battle to receive the information from the FDA has Kaposi's sarcoma, AIDS cancer, and it has a dozen autoimmune disorders, meaning it affects the immune system. Now, your immune system has immune surveillance where you have, you're constantly exposed to things, and sometimes you can make a cancer cell, and your immune system on immune surveillance would normally kill that cancer cell before it can spread. But what if your immune system is not functioning well? Well, that's what we see with AIDS. And yeah. so, uh, and uh, Kaposi's sarcoma is, is, is one of the AIDS cancers that's actually an AIDS-defining illness. You find it in epidemic HIV, AIDS. And so what I'm saying is every cancer will be increased if your immune system, uh, immune surveillance is knocked out. And we're seeing all cancers increase. So since the really massive push in, the last two in years. 2021 and this year to 2022, you're seeing an increase in cancers, which you're positing could be tied to the fact that the autoimmune system is, the immune system is being depressed or, or, or in some way damaged no. by the vaccines. Yeah. No? Okay. And so uh, I think uh, 
there's a cause, a potential cause, and we do see the reality that uh, actuaries and the insurance industry are pointing out. They're calling it out. The UK chief medical officer is acknowledging it to the whole world, that we're seeing all-cause mortality, all-cause, all types of cancers, all kinds of heart disease, all kinds of illnesses, even for the young. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is different. We've never seen this before. And what changed? Well, I think we've been talking about it. The vaccines, the vaccines, and actually the push for them. Before I get into the, I, I am going to go back, um, Mr. Emilio, my wonderful producer, in just one moment to a little segment I have from Diet Suddenly, but I want to make this point first. When people were first afraid about COVID, it came along and it just seemed to come out of nowhere. It was very alarming. You presented evidence. In fact, you spoke about it at my summit uh, where the idea was this was not a naturally occurring virus. It didn't come from bats. It seems to be, it seems to have been an, a created virus. The, the whole COVID-19 virus to start with is a bioweapon, I think is the word you use. Is that still your take? That's your view? So we know uh, that coronaviruses have been around for a very, very long time. And we've never seen anything like a deadly uh, SARS-2, we had SARS-1, we had SARS-2, uh, we had MERS, but those have all happened in the last 20 years. Where, what else has happened in the last 20 years? Gain of function research. A, a great deal of genetic engineering on viruses has happened in the last 20 years. And uh, so I don't think those are insignificant. I think those happening uh, at the, in the same time frame is significant. This did not act like anything else we'd seen in, in the United States or around the world in healthcare. And the measures that were done were highly bizarre as well. And obviously they killed many people. They, yeah, I wanted to, I mean, I, cause I want to keep talking about this vaccine and its danger, but I want to make clear too this, you know, the virus itself as it came into around the world, not just America, around the world it came to fruition was very alarming and uh, the gain of function research soon, soon became evident people that had been had been very dangerous and, and caused the worst problem. The reaction of the healthcare industry, I don't know what to call them, the, 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 rule, the powers that be in the healthcare world, I'm talking about FDA and NIH and CDC, all these people, uh, the behavior of shutting doctors down, questioning doctors who recommended anything except wait for the vaccine, it's unprecedented in America. The vaccine was the big, big goal, as opposed to letting doctors treat with, with treatments that they knew would work. Before we had one case in the United States, our federal government that has intelligence agencies shut down travel from that region. We've never done that with any other pandemic. We had a pandemic in 2009, the yeah. H1N1 pandemic. Did we shut down travel, international travel? Did we leave American citizens in Spain and Italy for a period of time yeah. where they could not travel? This was the most bizarre. I think there were so many clues that this was not an ordinary pandemic. We had H1N1 pandemic of 2009. And if you'll see how, compare what we did with that to how we handled this one, tremendous mismanagement as far as I'm concerned. Hey, I, I would go with orchestrated, but you want us to call mismanagement. Okay, because that's because you're nicer. Because I, I have a license that I need to protect, Debbie. <laughs> Okay, fine. Okay, that, no, that's fair. That is fair. It is very bizarre how, how we react as a country. And then uh, you came along with Udesonide. We had ivermectin. We had monoclonal antibody infusions. All these things which doctors on the ground are saying, hey, this is working great. And there was repression from the state medical boards, the federal agencies. So we got to a point that vaccines came into be, being and people kind of jumped. A lot of pressure to take them. And people jumped because they thought they are kind of buying their freedom back. That, you know, once you're vaccinated, you, you, you'll be fine, you'll be safe, you were promised. 
you won't spread it, you won't get COVID, you won't, if you do get COVID, you won't get sick. You, I, I mean, just make, it was presented as a complete protection. Tremendous promises made, but not promises kept. I think I heard Biden say, if you get the shot, you won't get COVID. He sure did say that. I had a bunch of clips, I couldn't even stand to play it. But I do want to go back, back to what this um, die suddenly thing did, because in addition to the inordinate number of deaths and the data available to the public under the VAERS system about injuries, there's also a bizarre thing occurring with respect, this is being reported by uh, undertakers, coroners who are not medical doctors and they have no political agenda, but they're reporting, and I know this is a little bit, I don't usually play this squirmy medical stuff, but I'm gonna show you this just because I think you understand what they're looking at, what they're in these autopsies of people who died after having the COVID vaccine. So that is a clip now, if we can play that, Mr. Emilio. You know, we know something's going on. Um, uh, I deal with a lot of funeral directors and embalmers. Um, I attend national conventions, state conventions. I'm very involved. And, you know, we know something different is going on. We don't know exactly what's going on, but the timing of it um, is just hand in hand. We're connecting dots here. Um, and it certainly appears that there's some relationship to the vaccine and these um, obstructions that we're seeing. I was in Ohio last week or the week before last, and there were 100 embalmers at the Ohio Embalmers Association in my lecture. And I, I, I posed these photos up where people could see them. And nearly all of the embalmers out of 100 in this room raised their hands that uh, they had seen uh, clots and white fibrin structures of, of, of that kind of size. And when I ask again, when did they start seeing them? Again, it's. Uh, that 16 to 18 month period. And uh, within 24 hours, that system that is run by the Defense Health Agency was shut down. This is the bottom line up front. This is the weaponization of our healthcare system. These are done in acts by legislators. These all started a long time ago. Some could say in biblical times with good and evil. If we think that they're not nefarious actors in the world, people that work for principalities and, and dark places, if we think that, we're fooling ourselves, right? Because that's where we're at. 1974, Henry Kissinger put out a paper that said we need to decrease the world population. And that's when the globalists kicked in. We've got to stabilize the population. When I was born, no, there was So too, what's wrong with the population? I mean, we're too many people. That's, what, that's why we have global warming. We have global warming because too many people are using too much stuff. Our book, Limits to Growth, was the first concrete effort using a computer to look at trends that unfold over decades, even a century. We were trying to understand long-term physical demands on the planet. And in the 70s, we were... Yeah. You know, I probably grabbed too much of that. I, the, the one reason I wanted to show you that, Died Suddenly, this uh, documentary that was made by Stu Peters, is making the argument that the... Um, making the implication that the excess deaths are being caused by the COVID vaccines um, may be part of the effort to be, to fight what they believe is overpopulation. And there is a, you know, it's a Bill Gates owning Moderna is kind of interesting and, and other people involved who've been pushing the populations too big. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. Debbie, do you think that global warming might be killing everybody? <laughs> Let's just be preemptive on this one for a change. <laughs> I don't think so, by the way. Oh, uh, no, I, I've done shows on. I'm going to do one again uh, next week about the entire farce of the global climate change alarmism. But 
Back to the point they're making. So these embalmers, again, no political agenda, are noticing a bizarre thing in, in, the, in the autopsies of people who passed on after having the COVID vaccine. And that includes large, long, bizarrely shaped, unusually large blood clots. Many of them are not really, they're white and fibrous. They, they describe the texture. I mean, if you watch this one, they describe the texture like calamari, like rubber bands in people's system that are blood clots. And they're saying, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. These people who are all embalmers are saying they've never seen anything like it. And it's not just one or two cases. It's, it's a whole bunch of them trying to present this argument. So Dr. Bartlett, can you, what is an explanation why there would be these massive fibrous blood clots in people and being bombed after dying after COVID? First vaccine? of all, what's being described is not a normal natural phenomena. Normally clots are uh, within six to eight minutes, a clot is uh, triggered by an injury to the inside of the endothelial lining, the inside cells of a blood vessel. When the inside of a blood vessel is injured, that triggers a cascade, the clotting cascade. And you'll have actually, because it's an acute thing, you'll have red blood cells included in it. So normally a clot will have a lot of red blood cells in it. This is different. If you'll notice, they're describing something that's white, fibrinous, tough, does not have red blood cells included in it, probably has fibrin and all the other clotting factors involved in it, but uh, it doesn't look like it's an acute thing either. They're pulling out long clots out of blood vessels from the inside of the lumen of the blood vessels. Yeah. And so this is something that absolutely a tiny clot in the right place is killing people with heart attacks and strokes. That's from antiquity, but this is different. And your, my understanding is the same as yours. This has never been seen by uh, people doing autopsies and, and doing uh, and, and embalming uh, before three years ago. So is this something that, you know, the, uh, we didn't get into a lot of depth today about the uh, COVID virus itself and the vaccine, but the, is it this, um, what's the term, the spike protein? Is, so is spike protein is a weapon. Spike protein is what causes the inflammation and causes uh, the clotting, triggers clotting and inflammation, the two pathophysiologic reasons for death and destruction from COVID. Interestingly, when you look at what Pfizer said about their product and you look at the 1200 diagnoses of encephalitis, menin meningoencephalitis, uh, myocarditis of the heart, pericarditis of the lining around the heart. Itis means inflammation on the end of anything. I'm telling you a little medical secret. Well, that's good And to know. so a, a tremendous amount of inflammation, 1,200 diagnoses, and, and, the, and the root cause of all of it is inflammation of every organ in the body, basically, when you have 1,200 diagnoses, including the brain, including the liver, including the kidneys. And, and uh, so... Uh, what would be a root cause? Well, we're turning people into spike protein factory, factories where they get messenger RNA to make the spike protein on purpose, incorporated into their DNA of their cells to start making their cells make spike protein. And that the is, does this. the vaccine does that. And so you gotta say, is that a good idea? Normally, historically with vaccines, like uh, when we'd made smallpox and eradicated smallpox, with a vaccine, that was wonderful. I am pro-vaccine. I'll just be very clear. Vaccines are part of why we don't have smallpox. But we would use the virus 
or we would use a fragment of the virus, a dead virus or a fragment of the virus. We never would take something that was uh, a new technology that we've never used before, messenger RNA or DNA technology for a vaccine and, and throw it out there. Fau Anthony Fauci said within 72 days of receiving the gene code from the CCP, we had it uh, manufactured and injected it in our first healthy person. And, and in that same interview, he said, normally it takes five to seven years to prove safety and efficacy. But we don't have that time, he said. According to who? Actually, that's a good point. I always want to, every time you're on the show or other doctors have had on the show to point out that even though it was alarming and people certainly did die from COVID, the survival rate for most people is very high, even if they don't, as long as they don't have a pre-existing condition or aren't very senior. Is that accurate? That is accurate, but I can tell you I had COVID and it was a game changer for me. Uh, it could have killed me and I have no pre-existing conditions and I was used to running on the treadmill. So it, it, it was a, it is a dangerous, it was a dangerous plague that was, uh, President Trump called it a pestilence. I, you know, it was, it was a unique phenomena, very dangerous. It did not act like anything that we'd ever seen before in the emergency room or in medicine. Uh, in the United States. There was SARS-1, there was MERS in Egypt, but for this to be around the world, to come so close to our families and our neighbors was unprecedented, and, uh, and it was not natural in my opinion. Oh, not natural, for sure. I'm just getting at, I, I can't recall whether, I maybe haven't directly asked you this, but I believe I've seen data talking about how the, especially young children yes. and, and especially young healthy people. Overall mortality from COVID itself was still 96% recovery. Yes, 96% recovery without medication. At least 96%. Yeah, and, and without vaccine. Well, many people did receive treatment, but still 96% recovery at least, 96, 98, depending on who you're, who you're counting. And for this, we pushed the vaccine yes. to, to, the, to the exclusion of things that could have helped. Okay. I, I, Gonna want to hit a couple of the questions. I do want to give time to our audience to uh, their questions. But um, one, I, I mentioned to you. I, in fact, I sent you links. I think about this. Uh, there, there's a great series of columns uh, being written by. It's uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and their Substack, um, and it is a uh, and John Leak is uh, writes with this uh, writes with him. It's a wonderful Substack. I really encourage you to read them. I'm not finding the name quickly enough. Courageous something. Courageous Discourse. Courageous Discourse. Brilliant, brilliant. Go to this Substack. You should subscribe to it. I did. Um, they have great information out every day. Uh, one was, and I just, I think, I don't want to be alarming, but I, just to share something. This was by Dr. McCullough just a week ago, um, talking about uh, COVID vaccination, COVID-19 vaccination leading to blindness. And his, his basic uh, description was, Issues in organs can be damaged by COVID-19 vaccination because lipid nanoparticles laced with genetic code for the damaging spike protein are distributed throughout the body. Bad luck may play a role with disproportionate delivery to a specific area. For example, the eyes. The eyes receive their precious blood supply from the optic artery, no backup and no redund or, or redundancy. Hence, if lipid nanoparticles settle along the artery or into the central nerve taking visual signals to the brain, that inflammation fighting the foreign spike protein will start a process of tissue damage leading to loss of vision. And uh, again, we had inflammation of every tissue in the body listed on that Pfizer data. 
a list made by the manufacturer, and, and even nerve tissue, blood vessel tissue. And so you can have the optic nerve have a clot in it. From the, uh, from, uh, you could have inflammation of a nerve uh, because the optic nerve is nerve tissue. We have encephalitis. I have a relative who two weeks after receiving a booster was hospitalized because she had basically Alzheimer's symptoms that presented out of the blue and, uh, and, and her test, the C-reactive protein was in the 50s, which is a, showing a ten tenfold increase in inflammation in her body. As a, and it all happened, uh, the, it all started with a shot. And so uh, you can have blindness, but you could have uh, Alzheimer's type symptoms, encephalitis, encephalopathy of the whole brain. You can have inflammation of one nerve. I told you, uh, transverse myelitis, they knew about that. Um, and uh, Aaron Siri, the attorney, presented an excellent summary in five minutes uh, at uh, Senator Ron Johnson's presentation. So I encourage everybody to watch Aaron Siri's presentation uh, showing the timeline that the FDA was already aware of these problems. Okay, so all these, I mean, I could read you more of these stories about this amazing information out there. And if you read Dr. McCullough's Substack, if you read all sorts of sources, you do realize the danger and damage seeming to flow from these vaccines. So, uh, you know, this is a $64,000 question, but why are they still pushing them? I, I did not have a good explanation why that would be our winning strategy from a gentleman named Anthony Fauci being the head of this, who had been chasing a vaccine for HIV for 40 years and failed. And I said that July of 2020 on yes. your show. I said, why are we having the gentleman who has failed over and over and over again to produce a life-saving vaccine for a highly contag uh, contagious, highly uh, rapidly mutating virus called HIV. He has failed over and over and over. And when we did that show, he had just had another failure uh, in South Africa with a vaccine that he thought was promising for HIV. Yep. They still do not have a vaccine for that, do they? After 40 something years. Right. And yet he was the guy that was pre presenting that as our only way out of this pandemic on January 1, 2020. He was, but I still, I know I'm... And why are we pushing it now? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, some people have come to their senses. The, the government of Denmark says no one under 50 gets this shot. That's a nation who's made that decision. It takes a while for governments to make decisions. The UK who has all the information, it's a socialized medicine in the UK. So all the information is in real time in the computer and they're seeing the all cause mortality increase. And according to the UK's latest information uh, last month, they said no one, no doctor should give this vaccine to a pregnant lady or a woman of childbearing age. They better check and make sure there's no chance that they're pregnant if they're gonna give this shot. They also said uh, no matter what, at all costs, make sure you do not give it to a mother that is nursing, that's breastfeeding. This is now, but we've had this out for a year and a half. Uh, these vaccines have been out for a while now, and we're just now coming to that point where the evidence is undeniable to governments. The UK is deciding this, Denmark's deciding this, but our country, the FDA, 
and the CDC are doubling down on this. They are, and actually, I, I don't mean to, I, I, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you can explain the behavior of the CDC. I wish I could make, you could, but you know, you, you and, and doctors around the country come to these conclusions, recognizing what does work, recognizing the danger, and yet our government plows forward. I'll tell you, there was a, a quick piece from, uh, again, from Dr. McCullough talking about, the, the, he titled the article, why doctors push COVID-19 vaccination so hard? He basically was talking about there's a there, there's a money flow. CDC COVID-19 Community Core uh, early as 2021. Uh, notable medical groups, including the AMA, a whole bunch of them they list. They basically they've banded together, and this is the answer. And it's it's and, and you can't get them to budge off of there it. There is a follow the money aspect yes. to this. Uh, that's undeniable. And, uh, you know, just yesterday in the Senator Ron Johnson's uh, hearing on December 7, 2022, if anyone wants to look at it, it was explained in that by Paul yeah. Merrick, Dr. Paul Merrick, that, uh, and I've heard this over and over again, if someone dies from COVID in your hospital, you, get to, uh, you will get a 20% bonus of the overall bill. So if there's a bill of a mil over a million dollars, which I know a gentleman who in Florida had a $1.4 million bill and he survived COVID, think of 20% of that. That might be a financial incentive to some people, to it, some institutions. It is so, it's staggeringly disappointing to people who have always held the medical community, doctors and nurses and hospitals in high regard, assuming their primary goal is to make you better. We could go down that path too. I can see I'm gonna run out of time here. I do want to, I want to do two quick things. We have this microphone. If you have a question, be really, really, really short. But here's my last thing I want to say. Uh, how, how do we get out of this? I mean, how does America get back to what we're supposed to be? Well, there's with, this guy named Joe Biden and he said the pandemic is over. And but, then but Anthony, that was last week he said that. <laughs> now it's not over. Anthony Fauci acknowledged it. They Both of them said uncle, Debbie. They both said it's over. But how do we stop the vaccines? Right, the pushing and, of them. Yes, and so uh, again, money is driving uh, a lot of this for some people. I'm not saying it's, uh, this, it's being used, that it's everybody's motive, but it's clearly a motive of many motives. And so I think uh, at some point, thank God for Senator Ron Johnson, thank God for Rand Paul. Um, we have people who are government leaders, but it's gonna come from the government intervening in stopping this. I will say the government, yes, but I think the push has to come from the American people to the government because people know doctors like you, people read and hear what you say, they know about Peter McCullough, many other doctors we have in the show. They're all trying to get truth out there, and yet this impervious, the, the government allowing this and the medical industry pushing it, they seem impervious to reason, to pressure. It's, it's like the pressure has to come from the American people. They're saying, we're not doing this, and you need to get you know, you need to, you government need to tamp down on all these entities. Uh, I will it. say one more thing. Uh, we talked about it earlier. It's a public health emergency. That is uh, what uh, the president has, has said we're in, a public health emergency with COVID. Now he says we're in a public health emergency with monkeypox when we had one case of monkeypox in the United States and Massachusetts. What is involved as far as a special powers for the, the executive branch for the U.S. government, for the president. What are involved in public health emergencies, special powers for governors? And I think that also explains some of what's going on right now, Debbie, as far they, as uh, HIPAA, being, uh, uh, HIPAA being affected, 
uh, your, your privacy to patient rights uh, being affected, possibly could that affect uh, informed consent? Could that also uh, affect other patient rights? And I'm telling you, I think it does. Absolutely. Well, I have about 25 more things to say, but I do promise you it's fine, audience. If you have a question, you can quick raise your hand. Do keep it very short. I'm sorry I went long as I always do. Please go right ahead and talk right into the microphone so they can hear it online. So according to the FDA, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which was safe and effective, we've heard that over and over, yeah. it, now the FDA says that that should be your last choice. It's that safe. Why? Because of the, the complications that they have found that are undeniable now. So we also had a fourth vaccine that you have to really dig now uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine yeah. that they don't even acknowledge. They just talk about, oh, we got three vaccines. Hey, we did have four that were safe and effective. AstraZeneca's vaccine was banned from at least 16 nations. Yep. Yeah. It's that safe, Debbie. Uh, and so when you talk about AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson vaccine, those are both DNA gene therapies. According to who would call it gene therapies? Well, maybe the president of Bayer Pharmaceutical might be a valid source of information. His opinion might matter. And so when he was talking to the World Health Summit, to his cronies, he said, you know, the messenger RNA uh, uh, vaccines that are out right now are gene therapy. And so uh, what is genetic material? What is gene therapy? Messenger RNA, RNA and DNA are gene material. They're genetic material. We're talking about genetic engineering. And so, uh, this is, we have never had genetic engineering and, uh, and gene therapy with messenger RNA and DNA used in a vaccine ever before. What could go wrong if we don't have long-term safety and efficacy data? Well, I think we're seeing that. And I'll tell you, there have been people reported, if you look at the various website from J&J &J, that have been injured, it's DNA uh, is sequencing put in a adenovirus. You know, adenoviruses, rhinoviruses, and, cor and coronaviruses are the common cold viruses. We normally know they're very benign and not very dangerous, historically, unless you start monkeying with them in a lab. But you know, adenovirus has recently been linked to infants dying uh, from liver failure. Oh my Did gracious. you know that? No. There have been infants that have had liver transplants from adenovirus. That's not in the news very much. And so I'm letting you know, oh, that's kind of peculiar. Uh, what has happened with adenoviruses in the last couple of years with genetic engineering? I'm just putting that out there that I, you know, I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah, you know, Dr. Barley, we have, as everyone does, we have friends who got vaccines because otherwise couldn't see their grandchildren because they, they couldn't keep a job. They'd get fired. Yeah, something like that happened. And I never want people to feel hopeless. I, I am, I, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I do interview doctors on my show, and I'm really more about healthcare freedom, full transparency, uh, the right to make your own decisions, and the primacy of the doctor-patient relationship. But I want people to be aware, and, and I mean, if they know the facts, they are a little bit alarmed, but what is it you can do? What, what do you say to someone who's been vaccinated, realize I probably wish I hadn't done that. 
I, I mean, if you, uh, going forward, what should you do, what can you do uh, well, to keep I, yourself safe? I think we need to tell our neighbors. We need to look out for our neighbors. We need to take, if we took care of our neighbors, our communities would be safer and stronger. And being silent, I've been to China several times, where it's centralized care, where the messaging comes from the top and you do not speak against it. And, and we right now have a situation that's being pushed and we need to resist that my child, the government's choice? I don't think so. My body, the government's choice? I don't think so. My body, my employer's choice? Well, in, in Illinois, uh, a bunch of nurses and staff got fired because they refused to get the COVID shot. A $10.3 million settlement a year later says that was a bad Good. idea. And so uh, we, we still need to stand up for what we know is right. And we should not be bullied. We should not be coerced. We should resist bullying. We should resist our neighbor being bullied. We should stand up for our neighbor and for those that can't stand up for themselves, the children. And so I think first things first, if there's, if there's, uh, if there's a threat, to our neighbors, we need to stand up for them. And, uh, you know, of course, we talk about uh, if you've been injured by any medicine or vaccine, don't get another one. <laughs> don't get uh, the booster. And, no, and yeah. The, and yeah. everybody should have the right to weigh the risks and benefits. And so a lot is bubbling up to the surface. Stay informed and, and inform others. Don't be silent because there's a great deal of propaganda being put out right now that is very biased. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bartlett, we are out of time. I do want to ask you, if people want to read, are, are you published somewhere? Or can people follow you somewhere to see what your latest thinking? The next time you invite me, I'll be back. <laughs> okay. Woohoo! I but, like that. But it, they could go to budesonideworks.com. That is a, a third-party website that I don't own or operate, but it has a great deal of information there. Budesonideworks.com. Yeah, we, okay, we do have it up there. Yeah, okay, budesonideworks.com. Well, you know what? As happens every single week, uh, we're out of time, and I... Sorry to anyone in the audience who had a question because I didn't leave enough time. I really do apologize, but I don't think we're in a rush to get out of here. So if we hang around afterwards, you maybe get your question in. Dr. Bartlett, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Thank Debbie. you so very much. And thank you for tuning in online to America Can We Talk. A week from today, next Thursday, we're going to have Jackie Deason join us. She is the host of Jackie Daly. She's an energy expert uh, from a long time ago. She's worked on Capitol Hill for years, uh, now hosts her own show on The Blaze, talking about energy issues, uh, which is, is extremely relevant as winter is approaching and we have energy shortages and rising prices and fears of uh, real of diesel shortages, all sorts of energy issues that really, really will impact your ability to live and function in your life. So Jackie Deason next week, and thank you very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this story to talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Well done. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you